Welcome back to another episode of Customer Discovercast. This is a solo episode, much like the very first episode uh, ever created for this series, uh, the origin story. This is just me sharing my thoughts on specific topics. Today, we will be focused on what I learned from speaking with Barbara Corcoran, a billionaire, Shark Tank, angel investor, real estate mogul. I was on our podcast, you know, almost a year ago, actually. And, you know, I was really excited to do that podcast. I didn't realize how big of an impact it actually would have on me because I didn't realize what was coming, right? Like back then, we didn't see a global pandemic coming. I didn't know, uh, you know, one that I would be laid off from my job. I thought I was doing great. I was kind of wondering about my next step. Little did I know that I thought, you know, I would be taking kind of a, uh, a massive step back, kind of, you know, snakes and ladders kind of going down all the way back to square one. So, yeah. You know, let, let's dive into it. So um, we'll start with with kind of how I got onto the show. So Barbara Corcoran started what I believe is called 888 Barbara. Uh, I believe it's a show where you call in and, and she answers. And uh, I never really called in. You basically just fill out a form. Uh, I don't know. I got the advertisement for it. I think it was on Instagram. So it was one morning. I went to the bodega. I had my coffee. I was sitting in the park. Uh, and, you know, I, I was just like, okay, this seems good. If I get on, great. If I don't, it took me five minutes to fill out the form. So I told her my story about how I got there. And and apparently, I, you know, it was good. I, I was selected. Um, so then a couple, maybe weeks later, maybe a month later, they contacted me and said, okay, uh, you know, it's going to be this week at Wednesday. We want you to find a good place, good recording space. Um, and we're going to do a Skype call. So uh, I actually had the flu. So I think it was a Wednesday morning and I was home from work because I couldn't even like move. But I was like, I'm doing this podcast like I'm damn sure going to make it. So I drank a cup of coffee or something. I was like, you know, regardless of how tired I may sound, I'm going to make this work. Um, and it was kind of crazy to see on Skype. Barbara Corcoran is calling you, you know, because I used to love watching Shark Tank every Monday. Um and to be honest, Mark is probably my favorite uh, angel investor. He seems to be the one that takes the biggest risks. He's he's the most founder centric because he has been a, a founder before. But nonetheless, I was happy to be on the show. And, and you know, Barbara's great. Uh, and a lot of liveliness and she's very raw and uncut. She, you know, she'll tell you exactly how she feels. So I was happy to be on the show. Uh, and, you know, it was it was amazing. She came on uh, and she was like, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. So I, I walked kind of through my story, which many of you guys know, I read a lot of books. Uh, you know, I started paying to see a fit with money from graduation. And, and you know, I was happy that that did, you know, mildly successful, like I was able to pay some bills with it. Uh, and all in all, like my personal training business did pretty good. You know, I, I was happy with the success from that. Um, and that's what ultimately got me that job up in New York, you know, working for, I, I read in entrepreneur.com or sorry, entrepreneur magazine, the Elon Musk of the fitness industry. He saw what I was doing with Panacea Fit. And that's ultimately why he invited me to then, well, he initially invited me to work for him in Miami. I said, no, I'd party way too much. He said, what about New York? I said, hell yeah, let's go. So, uh, you know, I, I told her that and, you know, she said, you know, it, I told her that I was reading a ton of books and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like I, I've learned so much, but I don't know how to apply it. It's not really relevant to what I'm doing right now. Because in the fitness space, it's like, you know, great. You're learning about technology and scrum and agile methodologies and, you know, customer discovery and all that. But it, you can apply it to a certain extent with what you do. 
but you know, the, I realized that I was kind of barred in, in terms of the freedom I had to experiment. Right. So, um, what she said, and I'll never forget this, you know, I forgot a lot of the details in that, uh, in that podcast, but I'll never forget this. She said, Ethan, and it was almost like she had rehearsed this. I don't, I don't know. But obviously she hadn't, cause I hadn't told her about how I read all these books and, you know, I'm trying to find my direction, but she said, it's time for you to put down the books. It's time for you to start writing your own story. And I just took a second and I don't know if it was cause I had the flu and I was just like, <laughs> but I was, I was amazed. I was like, Whoa, like no one's ever told me that before. Everyone's like, Oh, cool. You read books. Like whatever. But I was like, okay, that makes sense because it's almost like analysis paralysis. Like back then, uh, you know, I would just plan and strategize. And I, you know, I always have my notebook, like, as you see right here, I take notes religiously. I hit my mic, but I take notes religiously. I fill up these notebooks. I could probably write 10 books now with all the notes I take from the books I read and now from the experiences I have. But I would plan religiously and I would just never take action. <laughs> you know, I would say like, oh, that would be so cool. Like, let me take notes on this book. I know so much now. And looking back, that's a vanity metric. It's cool to learn. It's great to learn, right? You you always want to uh, gain as much knowledge as possible. I, I believe that's a responsibility as humans to to learn as much about the world and, you know, potentially the future. And of course, the past. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the past. I think it serves its purpose to learn lessons, but I love the future. I'm, I'm always going to be future oriented. Uh, and, you know, it, it's kind of like a moral responsibility to educate yourself. And, uh, and that's great. It gives you kind of that rush of dopamine when you learn something new, but really and truly it only becomes life-changing if you take action on that knowledge. Right. Uh, and that's ultimately what that day taught me because after that, you know, immediately after that, actually, cause I had the flu back then, but when I recovered, I actually made kind of a, that was in, I actually think that was 2019. So that was before that was, yeah, that was 2019. So I was, I was, setting new goals for myself to take action. And back then, that's what got me into software development. I started with iOS development classes. Uh, you know, I, I would try to code apps and Xcode and Swift onto my app, onto my mobile, uh, onto my iPhone. What am I trying to say? Uh, and that was a whole new world to me because I had come from the fitness, uh, you know, environment where it was very non-technical programming was making up workouts for people. But I was starting to develop apps and I was like, this is a whole new way of thinking. It's very logical and it's very like, yes or no. You know, there's not much room for subjectivity and does it work or does it not work? And I love that. I love that clarity around writing software. But ultimately, you know, that was a stepping stone. I didn't realize that, but I, I became kind of addicted to it. I would start, you know, on my, I would take Uber rides to work and back and I'd be coding in Mimo, which is a really cool, like gamified app for learning how to code. And on my Apple or on my iPad, I would be on the, I forgot what's coded with Swift. It's kind of like also a gamified version of code and Swift. Um, and I would go to Apple on fifth Avenue. I think it was like their trademark Apple store had, you know, they have Apple classes where, or sorry, they have Swift classes where they teach you how to code or they teach you how to use their AR kit, which was, it was incredible to do that. That showed me, I, I've never, I felt like a little kid, man. I was there with, other little kids sometimes with adults as well but the teacher would teach i'm like teach me how to do this i want to i want to add some movement to this little made up apple branded uh character that i can teach how to move and 
you know, Im imply functions on them. It was just so cool, man. Like, if you guys know me, you know that I love Apple. Like, the first the first time I really found my direction in life was when I was a sophomore in college. And I picked up Walter Isaacson's biography on on uh, Steve Jobs. And that was a book that my uncle gave me, like, back in that Christmas and he did, I don't even think he expected me to, to read that book, but I did. And <laughs> these are the, the dots that kind of formed my direction in life, but yeah, it, it was incredible. So I'm a big Apple fan and to be able to learn how to code through Apple was, was incredible. I'm a big advocate for that. You don't have to be in New York to go to those. They, they have them everywhere. Right. So don't think that it's exclusive in that nature. It's very inclusive, but you know, in terms of what Barbara taught me, I mean, it was it was to take action. Whenever I learned something new, it should never just stop there. Like I read a book and I learned something. No, take action. Right. And then I learned about machine learning. So I do my hello world, which is the hello world of uh, machine learning is linear regression. So then I would learn, you know, how to predict the future pricing of houses based on Boston housing pricing data from 1970s. I would learn about housing criteria and what went into it. And it was actually really alarming in some cases because uh, to a certain extent, of course, it was like clean air, proximity to water, uh, school system quality. And then there was like some sketchy stuff, which was like uh, quantity of African-Americans in the area. I was like, whoa, that doesn't seem fair at all like that's kind of alarming and this was in my hello world document i was working on an anaconda navigator so i also learned a little more than i uh, expected to learn uh within that uh project but it, it was incredible you know I, it shows me a whole new world of life and I, I i started taking action every time i learned something so let's fast forward a little bit right because uh little did i know uh, the uh, yeah march 14th so three months after 2020 I would be laid off from my job. City shut down because uh, of COVID. And I'd worked really hard to get up to where I was. And I didn't realize that it was time to start over. Like I took a train back home, not really bringing much home with me because I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'll take a little break, maybe a month and I'll come back. Company went under. Uh, it was over. You know, I, I had to take another train back up to New York to move all of my stuff from my apartment. Uh, back home to my parents' house, which where I am right now, right? And and you know, I essentially I I had to start from scratch. I had to leave some of my stuff up there because I wasn't going to leave my books up there. So I left clothes and shoes up there just so I could fit my, you know, all of these. I'm always surrounded by them. Background too, um, and they're heavy as hell too. Holy shit! I had to cross over to Penn Station with two of these suitcases, but it's all good. We a successful recon mission. I brought all the books back. So. What do I do next? Right. I thought about Barbara Corcoran's book uh, and I decided to take action. Back then, I went to start marketpain.co, a two sided platform for software developers to post their early stage MVPs to potential early adopters. And in exchange for feedback, there could be a transaction of micro equity and micro funding. Uh, I, I spoke to Evans McMillions, who's the head of 757 Accelerate, a local massive accelerator group. Uh, I'm in the 757 region, uh, Yorktown slash Seaford. Uh, specifically, but they're in all of Hampton Roads, which is Virginia Beach, Newport News, where I'm at, right? Uh, and I, I believe Williamsburg as well, but they're they're all over Norfolk as well. Um, and she said, you know, the idea sounds okay, <laughs> but I like your energy. So here's the George Mason ICAT program. And, you know, I, I, I was scared every step of the way because I was like, I've never been through, I, I've read about these things, but I've never been through it, right? So I went through the program excuse me 
and I learned a lot. I learned a lot of things that I didn't want to learn that, you know, marketplane.co was not a feasible idea per se, but you know, it was time for me to take action and, and, you know, try to validate uh, every step of the business. And ultimately, if we're going to focus more on, you know, kind of sticking with that theme of taking action instead of planning, I used to spend hours and days taking notes on how I could build a great business plan. plan. And what I learned with customer discovery, well, from marketpain.co to customerdiscovery.co is that no business plan survives first interaction with customers. Remember that. You can spend hours, weeks, months planning and, and coming up with a perfect plan. It will never survive the first interaction with a customer. You're always going to see that, you know, there's certain flaws in your thought process. There are certain things that, you know, you didn't account for with the end consumer or certain opportunities that you couldn't have forecasted because, you know, ultimately you're creating this for a certain target demographic, even if you're creating it for yourself, because I am creating this business for myself. I would love to use customerdiscovery.co when we launch. This is why I created it. It's, it solves a massive problem. 92% of early stage entrepreneurs fail. And, you know, the most cited reason is because they fail to identify a market need and they run out of money in the process. I've run into this issue. We just became, I wouldn't say, well, I think we are actually profitable within the first month with our first client, but it's been 11 months since then. It's it's now March 2nd as of the day I'm recording this. And like I told you, I was laid off March 14th. So it's been almost a full year of me not receiving a single paycheck, spending money each month because I, I try to compensate people. I try to, I have to pay for the software, obviously, because I'm not going to make them pay for that. Right. So I had to spend legal fees. I have a lawyer. I have um, a website, you know, hosting fees, all that. So I run into that issue myself. But one thing that I realized is that it's so important. It's probably the most important component of starting an early stage business is to speak to the people you're creating it for. And that's customer discovery. You're discovering your customer, who they are, what their pain points are, what do they have in common? What are the opportunities in the market? And basically turning user research data points into product development insights. And that's that's piggybacking off of what I learned with Barbara. It, it's so important to take action rather than planning because the time that I would spend planning uh, a business plan or planning any feature set, I spend maybe 30 minutes creating my pitch, right? Creating like what I'm going to be asking this uh, this customer, right? What I, what I need to say to clearly communicate my thoughts that I want to be validated, this experiment that I'm looking to receive some kind of data from. And I spend the rest of the time going out and, and speaking with people, going out and getting facts from the marketplace. So I speak with about maybe 30 30 on average, probably sometimes it's more, but maybe about 30 um, founders, potential customers each week. And over time, they used to laugh, <laughs> laugh at marketpain.co and laugh at the early stage customer discovery.co because they were like, this will never work. This is ridiculous. And then through with our designers building out our prototype and, and validating literally each screen and making sure it is something that will be of value to them. We really realized that, um, Every time we think that we need to create a certain component to the site, we need to first consult with the people that we're building it for. And every time we do that, we spend a lot more time making sure that we're building something that is of value versus spending time and money on product development and then realizing that it's all a complete waste. So we're much more efficient because as an early stage startup, speed is our number one advantage. We have to move as quickly as possible because the bigger people actually do have their eyes on us, by the way. 
uh, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but people at our bigger competitors, uh, one was supposed to be on our board and uh, another, um, what was I going to say? Another reached out to be a co-founder, uh, uh, someone very high up at uh, adjacent competitor reached out to be a co-founder of ours. So they are aware of us to a certain extent. I don't know how much. And I hope that we aren't directly competing with them. But if we are, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. And we're going to compete. And we're going to be the most customer-centric version of this business model because I am an early-stage founder. If there's anything I could do for the rest of my life, it would be helping early-stage founders turning their ideas into reality with a very structured and scientific approach. We're creating this platform with a software matching algorithm and a native video call feature and eventually a predictive prescriptive analytics framework to help you better quantify the feedback you receive into how to you know, turn that into a product of value, something that people will pay for, right? And on the early adopter side, we want you to have a marketplace to where you join and you can see some new and exciting technology that is highly relevant to you, something that you would want to use and you have a chance to mold it. You have a chance to help this founder create it so that it's it's of maximum value to you when it is launched, right? And that's the most tricky side, by the way. You know, um, I, I, I planned and, and planned, like I told you guys about what would be valuable to early adopters, but I have to go out and speak to them to make sure I have to validate that side of the marketplace. We validated it from a founder's side. They, they love it. But then what I didn't realize is normally when I would go and plan and say, okay, early adopters will find value. This will find that those are all assumptions, right? I have to turn those into hypotheses. How do we go out and speak to early, uh, early adopters and say, um, or, uh, you know, validate that this is something that they would also find value from. And from going out and speaking to them, I learned so much, man. I, I learned that one, when they first joined, they don't even really want to be paid. They want to do a first couple interactions and they don't want to have to enter their bank account information. They want to speak with founders and they want to see what's out there. And then ultimately, eventually, they'd want to be paid for their feedback. So we incorporate a ranking system based on that so that they could just try out the app, give feedback. And based on a certain amount of successful uh, reviews on their feedback, they could then basically be a level one idea validator, level two idea validator. They can rank up and earn more money for the time, similar to Fiverr. So uh, it's been incredible. Um really frame you know switching my my ideology from playing it safe and and learning about what other people have done right because knowledge is it's really hard to to explain this right i haven't rehearsed this but when you read books read textbooks you know take classes you're ultimately learning about what other people have done right and you're you're establishing a framework for decision making. That's really what knowledge is at its most fundamental level, like foundation, right? Level one um, tier level knowledge. You're learning kind of a framework for how to make decisions. But ultimately, the goal is to be able to independently make decisions based on your own established framework from your own experiences mixed with that knowledge from, you know, industry leaders as well. So you never really get to that higher stage until you go put yourself out there. So it, it begs the debate, is it more important just to go out there and go gain that experience or, you know, mix the two, a hybrid approach of, you know, learning so that you kind of, you know, you, you can, you, I don't know, you don't make the smaller, more, you know, the skippable mistakes, right? And that's kind of what I'm experiment, experimenting with for 2021 
probably next few years like i'll read minimally like you know i've these are the two new books i've bought within this year really important cindy alvarez lean customer development and then hooked they're backwards in zoom so you probably can't see it but hooked which is co-written by the uh founder and ceo of product hunt and i i love their their framework for keeping people coming back each day we'll have some kind of top project feature set based on that but it, it's really amazing to you know, gain, I feel like I've leveled up as a person to gain this level of awareness to realize that while books, learning books, learning from books, it's very well intentioned. You know, I had good intentions in trying to educate myself, but it was flawed. Uh, and I've gained this level of awareness to realize that it, it's, you got to get out there. You got to go do things. You got to put yourself out there, make mistakes. I get told no so many times. I've, I've been shut out virtually, laughed out of the Zoom room, right? Once or twice. And I'm super embarrassed by it, right? Like certain times I just was not clear or concise. And it was clear that I was nervous on the meeting. But I've learned so much, man. I've learned about sometimes I came off as arrogant because I was actually insecure about like our progress, right? I was trying to uh, inflate like our, uh, my accomplishments, right? I was trying to inflate my accomplishments, our traction, because we had our first paying client. And I came off arrogant because these people don't know that I've been laughed out of previous rooms. They're meeting me for the first time. So I learned that I can sound very arrogant uh, and overconfident when in fact, I'm actually just trying to compensate for, you know, the insecurity of being laughed out of previous rooms and trying to, trying to reflect that I'm on the same level of the people that we're speaking to. Cause sometimes I'm speaking to multimillionaires and CEOs and I'm like, I don't belong in this room. Right. So I learned a lot about myself there, you know, the, the importance of humility and the importance of just kind of building and not, it's hard to say building in silence. What I mean is not trying to put everything out there on social media, but building in public, of course, is, I don't want to confuse that. It's really important to build in public and, and show people your progress and whatnot. But what I mean is not saying like, oh, look at me, look at what I've done. I mean, like, okay, here's the traction we've made in the past week. What is your feedback on this? Right? You know what I mean? There's a clear difference there. So I've learned a lot, guys. And I always want to share this with you guys. I, I love learning. I love teaching. And I'm very passionate about the stuff that I'm doing. I'm very blessed to be able to do it because, you know, my parents and I had a conversation. I'm 27 years old. You know, they've been impressed with what I've done so far, but they also know they're like, Ethan, you know, do you really want to do this again? Like they trust me. Both of their parents were entrepreneurs and they know I have the disease, right? Because right now it does feel like a disease. I literally can't be any other way. I am who I am and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And it's like, if I ignore it, it's like ignoring a, a core uh, component of who I am. And if I do that, I will not live a happy life. I have to follow who I am and follow out my goals here. So I'm blessed to have parents that support me uh, and encourage this, by the way, because there's many times I wanted to quit and they were like, no, keep going, keep doing it. And it's improved my relationship with my parents. It's improved my relationship with everyone else because I've embraced who I am. I've embraced the risks that I have to take and I feel more comfortable doing them uh, because I believe when you have that support, you have the motivation to then take those risks in a very level-headed mindset. It's not for me. I'm not doing this necessarily just for me uh, to a certain extent about happiness, sure. But it's not because I want you know, he's, uh, I, I don't know how to put it. I, I'm doing it because I know it can change the lives of many people that are close to me, right? And I'm blessed. Thank you, guys.